Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As you listeners can tell, the 2020 season finally upon us. We are so thrilled to be able to finally start breaking down some real tennis results. No more speculating. We finally have action in front of us to talk about. We are so excited for the start of the ATP WTA seasons. But beyond that, as you Cracked Interviews fans know something we have been gearing towards throughout this offseason, the college tennis season as part of our offseason preview. We started our college contender series looking at the year and top 10 teams from the 2019 men's dual match season, previewing those teams and what they'll look like in 2020. Crazy to say this, but it's been 10 weeks, so this week we are on our final team. As part of that exercise, we've been so fortunate to get to talk to these top 10 men's tennis head coaches, hear what it takes to build a top 10 program, what it's like coming off of a top 10 season, how you refocus to head into the next year. In the case of today's guest, we get to talk to a national champion and talk about what it's like to ride that wave into the next season. So fortunate today to be joined by our 2019 year-end number one team, uh, the NCAA championship winning University of Texas men's tennis head coach, Bruce Burke. Now, obviously you listeners know I am a University of Michigan former student. So for Coach Burke, a former Wolverine head coach, assistant for the 03 Illinois team that went undefeated, won the indoors, won the national championship, swept the singles and doubles. Coach Burke's seen it all in college tennis 30 years of 30 plus years excuse me of experience for him he's coached now 10 national titles between indoors outdoors and individual champs and in those 10 opportunities his players are 10 and 0 so he's seen a lot uh, and has coached the best that college tennis has to offer and that's why we're thrilled to talk to him today obviously a huge part of the Texas men's tennis story last year their head coach Michael Center uh, removed from the team halfway through the season at that point, they were 14-1. and one. They were a team that had brought back four seniors, two upperclassmen in Ito and Siskard at the top of the lineup as well. So it was a veteran team, and this is a team that had done a lot of winning over their previous three years, round of 16, quarterfinals, round of 16. So we talked to Bruce Burke of how that all you know, sort of came to a, a, a peak with this past season, how they persevered through all of that adversity, ended up emerging as the national champions. And then, as I mentioned, uh, of course, we want to preview 2020. So for Coach Burke, what do you do to replace all of that senior talent when you have guys like Ito and Siskard, uh, how they step up as leaders? We've seen Ito put together one of the best falls we've seen over the past 10 years in college tennis. So obviously they are rebounding strong, but when you have a lineup that's going to be so reliant on freshmen, how you get those freshmen ready to perform, how you schedule to put everyone in on the roster in the best position to succeed. Those are the sort of things we tackle with Coach Burke, and of course, I'm not going to let any coach leave our Cracked Interviews podcast now without running them through my ideas to change college tennis. So we had a lot of fun with Coach Burke. He's got a really exciting dual match today uh, with the number one team in the country, the University of Florida, whenever you get number one versus two this early in the season. Obviously, it's something for college tennis fans to be thrilled about. So with that in mind, enjoy my conversation with University of Men's Tennis, uh, University of Texas Men's Tennis Coach Bruce Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast, having served in the college tennis coaching ranks for the past 30 years, there is no doubt today's guest has earned the respect of his many coaching peers. He's a two-time NCAA team championship winning coach, and in 10 title matches, his players are undefeated. He'll surely deflect and credit the players for those successes, but there's no doubt he's the reason they're never outcompeted. If asked what the future has in store for his Texas program, I'd say it's near the top fans should expect them to lurk, and that's why we're thrilled to be joined today by University of Texas men's tennis head coach, Bruce Burke. Coach, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast, and by the way, congratulations on the national title. Thank you, thank you. So uh, I want to start there because there's it's been a busy, uh, we'll say, even 12 months for your Texas program, uh, but that's the, the thing that I think captures all of the fans' attention. You guys bring home the national championship at the end of the 2019 season. What's it been like for you since then? Just a whirlwind, or are you ready for this 2020 season to get underway? Yeah, I think both. You know, it's definitely a whirlwind at first, 
after the uh, NCAA tournament, those uh, couple of months in the summer were were busy, but in a fun sort of way, for sure. And um, gradually, once we got kick-started with the new players coming into town to start the fall season, it's kind of back to business, and the honeymoon gradually wears off, and, uh, you know, the attention is for sure. And I'm sure it helps that it wasn't your first national title, but you talk about the the fun stress that comes after it. At the time you won the championship, you had the interim tag still attached to your head coaching title. Now, I don't think anyone doubted that was going to be removed at some point, but was there any stretch, stress in the immediate aftermath? Were you like, hey, maybe I should use this in the negotiations, or was it just straight to work? You knew Texas was the place you wanted to uh, to stay. Oh, well, there's no doubt Texas was where I wanted to stay. But the, the question was, you know, the decision by the athletic administration. So, but I felt pretty good about it. Obviously, after we won the championship, I knew, uh, you know, and it certainly helped that the athletic director told me on court that, you know, the job was mine. So it wasn't, it wasn't a long waiting period after the championship. And you know, I was busy enough with the, with the season and the championship run that I didn't have too much time to stress about my future. And, um, you know, just focused on what we had to do with the team. But yeah, luckily I didn't have to sweat it out too much longer after the NCAA. Ah, deservedly so, Coach, if I may say. And before we get into the 2020 season, that 2019, a culmination of so many things for your program. Uh, in particular, you had four seniors all contributing in the lineup in Colin Marks, Harrison Scott, uh, Leo Tez, and of course, uh, Rodrigo Banzer. Uh, given what that group had been through round of 16 or better their three previous years but uh to lose your coach to lose the the head coach at the beginning of the year coach Michael Center I think it was around March 12th you guys were 14 and 1 at the time for them to rebound from that to cap their careers with a national title can you talk about how special that was for your program because it does feel a little extra special even more so than just bringing home a national title yeah, you know, when you have that large a group of seniors, um, you never want to find yourself in the unusual circumstances that we found ourselves in. But if it was ever going to happen, you know, I felt like we were in good hands with our senior leadership. And you mentioned those four guys who did a tremendous job on the court. We had another one, Johnny Goodwin, who was definitely a strong leader on the team. And um, even though he didn't get a chance to play as many matches as the as the starters, he was certainly a major force in keeping the team glued together throughout the throughout the season and throughout the spring. And and so yeah, we were we were in good hands with the seniors, and I was able to kind of allow them to take ownership for the team. Um, the you know the mentality that the team had uh, for the rest of the season after after we had the coaching transition. So we were we were in good hands with those guys for sure. And for you personally, it's been 30-plus years in college tennis. You were an assistant on arguably the greatest team of the 21st century, that Illinois team that went undefeated in 03, won both the individual singles and doubles title. You were a head coach for my University of Michigan Wolverines. You've been a part of the Texas program since 2014. For you personally, because that's not something that happens every day. I uh, I think I saw in the New York Times article you made a, a, a reference to Steve Fisher, who won the title after coming in during the season for the Michigan basketball team in the late 80s. Uh, guys in more modern days who come to mind, Ty Lue for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But it's few and far between where you have coaches take over midway through the season and are able to lead their team further You know, to win a national championship or a championship of any caliber. So really for you, what, do you think you were, you know, uniquely prepared to take over as a head coach? How does a transition like that work? Because it's easy to see where things could have gone wrong there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I still think the biggest factor was the senior leadership we had on the team. We've talked about that already. But, yeah, I felt confident um, having been a head coach for 10 years previously at Michigan that, um, you know, the, just the idea of being a head coach and being responsible for being the voice of the program wasn't going to be something that would freak me out. I think I kind of had some experience with that, and that was good. And I've also been really fortunate to work with some great head coaches. I've been an assistant way longer than I've been in a, been a head coach, even though I was the head coach at Michigan for 10 and, and now here for one and a half. I was an assistant coach for Ian Duvenhag at Florida for six years and then for Craig Tiley, who was fantastic. And I worked with a great coach at Texas and Michael Center for – Four years, so I've been around a lot of really good coaches, and 
you know, had a chance to pick up some of their ideas and blend in a little bit of my own style. And I felt like if there was ever a time that I was ready for that moment, I think it was that time. The reason I ask is because a big moment for your team, a big lineup decision that ultimately comes down to the coaches, is you make the decision to go with Rodrigo at six singles. Uh, Chi-Chi Huang had been playing there earlier in the year, had had a good season, I think was 15-5 and five at the number, or not 15-5, and five, excuse me, that was for doubles, but had had a good season uh, competing in the dual match lineup, I think was 11-5 uh, and five overall on the year, yet you make the decision to go with the senior at six singles it ultimately pays off so I guess for you is that again going back to this trust you have in the senior class it it, because it's tough to make lineup decisions like that that late in the year yeah that's true it's true it's tough to make them late in the year and I think I'm finding out I'm going to find out tonight it's going to be tough to make them earlier in the year too (laughs) I think I'm going to have a few tough decisions um you know getting into our Florida match but yeah for sure Chi Chi was fantastic um he had a great start to his college year his college career and won a ton of matches in singles and in doubles. But as often is the case um, with some new players, he hit a little bump in the road. And at, during the, at the time, he was kind of losing a little bit of his confidence. Rodrigo Banter was regaining some of his old form. And, you know, Rodrigo has been arguably one of the most clutch players to ever play for Texas. He's clinched so many matches where he was the last man standing and, and he was playing better and better. And I knew um, I knew that we could rely on his experience and he was starting to feel really good on the court. Chi-Chi was struggling a little bit. So, yeah, we made that switch and uh, never easy. But I think it it kind of that decision became somewhat clear to us, you know, because we're also with it's not just the matches that we see and the match results that we go on. It's also what we see with our own eyes every day in practice. And I think um, Rodrigo was really starting to step up at that point. And we knew how many big match situations he'd been in during his career so I think that that seemed to be the right call at the time yeah look I mean for you he got wins against Florida against Wake Forest so uh, or uh, against TCU I believe as well so obviously something went right in that decision um again I do want to talk about 2020 but for your team and it speaks to the adversity they face all year long in that national championship final against Wake Forest. You guys find yourself down a doubles point. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks earlier, you had lost that doubles point and lost the conference tournament final match to Baylor. I think in all three of your losses on the season, you guys had lost the doubles point. Uh, but you also had a bunch of wins where you guys dropped a doubles point. So for your team in that moment, it's the turnover. What are you telling them? Uh, is it, you know, the, the biggest obstacle you still face is really just the love bugs at the back of the court, but the tennis stuff we got, you know, what are you telling your team in that moment? Yeah, the love bugs were definitely a distraction, but I think probably more so <laughs> for the people watching and for the coaches. I guess the players are moving around pretty quickly. So during the point, I, I don't think they're thinking about the love bugs. But yeah, you know, the, we probably give the same kind of speech that any coach gives after losing a doubles point. And I always tell our guys that we want to play the doubles point as if it's the most important thing in the world. And then when it's done, win or lose, understand that it's really only one out of seven total points that can be scored. So, you know, play up the importance of the doubles point before the match. And then as soon as we win or lose the point, you know, um, just restart the match and understand that ultimately it's only one out of seven points. So we gave that kind of same speech, which is pretty much what we say after every doubles point. Um, And uh, we didn't get a good start in singles either. So it wasn't looking good because I think most people – who handicapped that match, including myself, looked at it thinking that our best chances to win the match were to win the double point and take care of business at the bottom of the lineup. And if we found a way to get one of the top two spots, we'd be super fortunate. And, you know, the match ended up turning out nothing like we expected. And, and we got down a break on all, just about every court in the singles. And um, I think that's where it paid off to have such experienced competitors and a bunch of seniors out there that never panicked and just kept chipping away until um, they were able to get themselves back in sets. And I think it was a huge lift for the team to have Christian Sixgard come off the court first against Gojo to tie the match at one. I just sensed that when our guys looked down the row of courts and saw that point up on the board, we thought we were back in business. And uh, I think that was a huge turning point in the match. 
Yeah, for Christian Sisgard to beat Gojo, for Ito to clinch the match against Risokos, even for Lido Tellis down at three to have won that first set against Barbotzer. I mean, that's where Make- Wake Forest made its money last year, so one can only imagine what it did for your team. And, you know, we talked a little bit about winning the national championship, what that's like already, so we don't have to go through that. But in losing uh, four seniors from your lineup, uh, all eyes obviously turn to Siskard and Ito at the top. They're the upperclassmen returning, the people with lineup experience. What has this transition this offseason, what have you seen in them? Have they, you know, stepped up as leaders on the team? Obviously for Ito, one of the best falls maybe we've seen in college tennis ever, uh, winning everything he played. Uh, How instrumental will those two guys be to to your team this season? Yeah, no question. They're going to be super instrumental, both on the court with how they produce, and I'm sure they're going to win a lot of matches for us. They're, They're not perfect, and I don't want them to feel like they have to be perfect. But um, the leadership they provide, both by the way they go about their business every day in terms of practice and dedication and professionalism, which, you know, I give them both, they give them both an A in all, in all of those departments. And then I, neither of them are, by nature, were super vocal when they came in. But I've kind of sat back and watched, and, and I think they are in their own, within their own personalities. I think they are spending a lot of time with our freshmen and sophomores and, um, you know, counseling them and helping them to learn from some of the experiences that they had when they were freshmen and sophomores. So I think they're doing a great job as leaders. And I've been really impressed that as much as they, as they have accomplished in college tennis so far, um, they've been uh, really diligent about trying to do what they can to make sure we um, put a great team on the court for Texas this year and, and that they leave a great legacy you know, for our program and, And uh, I think they've been doing a fantastic job with their leadership so far. Yeah, and look, you guys have a bunch of freshmen coming in, according to Tennis Recruiting, the number one recruiting class, guys like Cleve Harper, Jake Bullard, Elliot Spaziri, uh, I think even McDonald, Seam Waldeb. So uh, there's a lot of freshmen, there's a lot of talent there that are, is going to need to be coaxed for you guys to get to the places you want to go. Let's start with that number one recruiting ranking, Coach. I, I, I think recruiting something you've done well at all of your stops, if you'll allow me to say that. But does it help when you're on the road and you say, yeah, and we just won a national title? Like this, this number one class, it was always going to be a big class given how many seniors you guys were replacing. But how does that help you as you go on the road you talk to all of these recruits who have you know so much passion for the game yeah for sure I mean everyone wants to be part of a winning program and um, it's been I've noticed that it's easy to have that initial conversation with anybody when you can tell them that you're national champions but there are also a lot of fantastic programs and great coaches throughout the country so you know I'm not naive enough to think that it's only going to be Texas. You know, I could rattle <laughs> off the names of 10 other great programs with terrific coaches that people are going to be interested in. But I think we have the, you know, we have the benefit of having a really strong academic school with a great business school being located in arguably the best city in the country or certainly by the rankings and with great weather and a brand new $22 million facility. And by the way, we have, you know, a winning program right now that just won the national championship. So we've got a lot. I feel like we're one of those schools, not the only school, but we're one of those schools that can say they check every box. And um, I think we've had a lot of a lot of really good interest from the American kids, especially since we've upgraded to the new facility. And I think Elliot was a January addition, but was the intention always for this 2020 class to be this large? Is that something? Because it, it's not, you know, it's not common to see classes this big join a team at once yeah we have 10 players on the team right now and six of them are freshmen so it's pretty that's a pretty big freshman class yeah that'll do coach it's going to be a fun year for you yeah cleave uh cleave of course was on the team in january as a red shirt but he's still a freshman yeah i don't know that we always thought it was going to be this big but we knew it was going to have to be a big class just because we graduated five people last year so um but things you know things happen sometimes that you're not expecting i think originally colin marcus was um was not was supposed to be a senior this year and then he the idea for him initially was for him to come in in january and redshirt and then we had um, a little bit of a turnover with the team that year so he was forced to to play that first year so that made the you know that made one additional senior last year and so a few things can happen here and there that can change the plans but 
yeah, I mean, once we hit last year going into the season, we knew how many seniors we had on the team. We knew this was going to be a big class for sure. And you've seen your guys compete all fall. Now you've had, I think, that Miami Invitational where you competed with Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, and the University of Miami over this past week. A big matchup with number one Florida coming up tomorrow that I want to talk about in a second. But you look at what your guys did this fall, Coach. How how do you see your teams, you know, the roster, the depth, the talent coming into this 2020 season? Yeah, I think we have, obviously we have a lot of, uh, we have some good punch at the top of the lineup with Christian and Yuya as, as our top two players in some order. And then, um, you know, then most likely you, you might see a sophomore in the lineup at some point after that, and then it's going to be a bunch of freshmen. And uh, so it's a lot of unanswered questions, but I think they're all really good players with a lot of big match experience. They just don't have that experience in college tennis. So it's hard, it's hard to predict, but what I do know about the group of freshmen is they're all super passionate about tennis. They love to be on the court. They are uh, coachable. Um, they enjoy being on the court. They enjoy each other. They're close. And we've had remarkably few um, off-court issues, virtually none. You know, we've got a really good group of guys. And like you said, I've been doing this for just about 30 years, which is hard to believe. But in all that time, and I would include last year's team in this, that this seems to be um, – seems to be the best vibe that we've had around a, a team of any team that I've coached. So I think that they're going to get, I have no doubt that they're going to get better. And I don't know how many lumps to take along the way. And um, we're just going to have to see how things develop as we, as we get started. A little flattery for you, coach. It may have been 30 years, but you look exactly the same as I remember you in 1988 uh so it hasn't aged you a day but for you when because all of these guys have grown up playing singles they're all outstanding players you have to be to join a team a program of the caliber of yours uh but what's more difficult for you figuring out you know beyond Siskard and Ito who's going to fill out that singles lineup or finding new doubles team because outside of Ito and Chichi Huang who thus far you've split up and mostly gone in favor of Ito and Siskard it will be completely new doubles teams this year so how has been balancing you know getting the guys singles reps with finding the teams that'll work for you because as you mentioned that doubles point in the moment it's the most important important point you're playing right so far uh we'll see you know we'll see if what we put out there works at first or if we have to tinker with it a little bit but so far i think we've got some pretty good clarity about what our doubles teams are going to be at least at the start of the season i'm pretty confident that christian and you are going to be a team to start the year and i'm pretty confident that chi chi uh chi chi and cleave are going to be a team to start the year either at two or three just to begin and then we have to find that other team. I'm pretty confident that Elliot Spaziri is going to be one of the is going to be half of that team. And then we've got um, a few people that we've tried pairing with Elliot. So I think we right now the only decision we have for tomorrow is who's going to play with with Elliot, and um, you know is it going to be at number two or number three? And otherwise, you know we're pretty clear with how we want to start the year in doubles, and we haven't focused that much on trying to figure out the teams, but more on trying to get our skills in doubles up to speed and just simply trying to get better. So, um, so far it hasn't been that much of a stressor on, on the combinations. We're just going to have to try something first and see how it works and go from there and keep trying to get better. And then the singles, um, I'd say same thing. I mean, we haven't really, I try, I try really hard not to worry too much about the lineup until we have to, you know, cause you can spend a lot and it's, you know, it's human nature to think about it and, and, and kind of predict a little bit what it's going to be like, but really, I think it's smarter to just try to get better and, and, and not overemphasize the lineup because things can change five times from the fall till, till January, you know, in terms of what who's playing better at the time. And I think we just got to let things play out and focus on getting better and pushing each other to get better every day in practice. Yeah, maybe maybe not from your perspective. For mine, that constant turnover, that's half the fun of the season, seeing who ends up where, what teams end up going with doubles-wise. And to a couple of follow-ups to that on the doubles portion, you mentioned getting the skills uh, more prepared, more so than finding the exact teams. Uh, one of my favorite doubles teams, and you know maybe the reason I'm as into college tennis as I am now is because one of the first matches I ever intended was a U of M match where I got to see Jason Jung and Evan King 
can play together. And, you know, those guys could do it all on the court. So if you wanted them to serve in volley, whatever it may be, you could ask that of them. I'm curious, your Midwest guy, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, serve and volley roots still in play for you? You getting your guys down at Texas to uh, be serve and volleyers? Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to be pure serving volleyers and singles. You don't see too many of those before. But uh, I'd like to. I feel like a lot of our guys do have some pretty good skills around the net, and it's just they just don't have. They haven't grown up getting the the amount of reps that they need to build their confidence with those skills. So we do try to encourage them to do that some in practice and certainly in doubles. Um, you know, all of our guys in our doubles lineup, I feel like can do it and do it well, but they tend to shy away from it. So we're trying to. Um, you know, we're trying to push them to do that in practice and as much as they feel comfortable with doing it in the match. But no, I don't force them to play a certain way, but I definitely feel like for most of them, that should be more, um, you know, more the rule rather than the exception, at least on serves. And again, it depends on the player and how big their serves are and their confidence level and also the opponent. But but I do think most of our guys should be serving and volleying most of the time on first service. Whether they do it or not, we'll we'll find out. <laughs> no music to my ears I love to hear it and a question we've had when we because we've had been fortunate enough to interview a bunch of these top coaches for these top programs is about the time restrictions for the NCAAs you know at the top levels of college tennis a lot of these guys not only have aspirations to win national titles but to go on and play professional tennis and for you uh, you've seen the time rules how much time you're allowed with them on court uh, vacillate a lot throughout your coaching career. Where do you stand on the current time violation, uh, current time rules? I, I know all coaches want more time with their players on court, but do you find it particularly frustrating? Have you been able, you know, for your guys who have pro aspirations, have they been able to get creative work around those things? Yeah, I, I think the overall amount of time that we're allowed to practice isn't really a problem. Um, not very often. You know, of course, you'd like to keep on a regular schedule throughout the year, but really only the first few weeks of of September and then, you know, and then November, December are where we really have our hands tied. Um, but, they, you know, if they really want it badly enough, they can get out there and practice. No one's locking the courts and keeping them out. So that's what one of the things I've liked about this group is that, um, you know, I, I know that they're out there. You know, they're out there even during those times in November and December when we're not there to see them. Um, so I think the during the season, the 20-hour restriction, I don't find the weekly restrictions that limiting. Where it gets a little, can be a little frustrating sometimes is um, trying to, the overall restriction for the week isn't a problem, but sometimes we run into a four-hour rule that can be a little frustrating if we're trying to do a team practice and an individual and a fitness workout on certain days. Most guys aren't doing all of that every day, but if we, there are two or three days that we want to do an hour individual, an hour lift in the gym, that kind of cuts the team practice to two hours. And sometimes we want to play a little bit longer and play sets, but again, they can always stay longer. So um, I haven't found it to be a big problem. I would probably prefer a little more flexibility, but overall I think these guys get plenty. Yeah, it's just interesting to see because we see so many college players right now. You look at a guy like J.J. Wolf this time last year. He was getting ready to play for Ohio State this year. Uh, he's winning a challenger in Numea, so it speaks to the level of college tennis that so many of these guys uh, do have professional aspirations. You mentioned you you see these young guys on the court already, and we've mentioned some of the names, but for your team this year, again, you're going to need these young guys to perform on the court I don't want to say, do you have any, you know, what are your expectations, but do you see most of these freshmen as being capable of contributing right away to your program? Yeah, I definitely do. They're going to have to, you know, because we only have, um, we have two upperclassmen and the rest are sophomores and freshmen. Um, so yeah, I did, some of them are going to be in the lineup for sure. I think the, you know, the safest bet, CM Moldy has, has had a really good fall and, and had a lot of good ranked wins and had match points to beat some other top 10 or 15 type guys. And for example, Yuya Ito is 17 and one on the fall. You mentioned that he won the two national tournaments. His only loss was in the finals of the uh, South Carolina Invitational in Columbia. And it was to see him who beat him in straight sets. And, and Yuya came off the court and said, I can't play bad, you know, so <laughs> he's capable of playing at a really high level. And I think he's proven that. So I think he's pretty much a sure bet. And then, You've got a bunch of other guys that are capable too. Uh, you know, obviously Elliot Spazirius 
was a top ranked recruit coming in and a top 25 or 20 ITF guy, uh, Jacob Bullard, uh, Elliot, I mean, uh, Evan McDonald, all these guys can play. Cleve Harper, I don't, sometimes I don't think of him as a freshman since he was on the team last year, but he's picked up his game quite a bit. So I think, and, and Ishan Talori has some great double skills. He, he and CM Moldy have got to the final one year and um, they're really good friends from San Diego. So, yeah, I really think every freshman on, that we have on the team is capable of impacting the lineup at some point during their college careers. And most of them, I think, are very capable of impacting the lineup this year. You talk about them needing to. Tomorrow you guys are playing at number one Florida in Gainesville. That's one heck of a way to kick off your dual match season. But it's not just that you have on your schedule. You're going to Ohio State. Georgia's coming to you guys. I think there's a Stanford match in there at NC State. Columbia at USC. Uh, Why is that your approach to the schedule? I, I know it seems obvious you want to play the best to beat the best, but maintaining that schedule while also ensuring your players don't burn out I imagine that's a tough line to you know maneuver so for you why is this the approach you take yeah I think you're right I mean there's there's a point that you could overdo it but I don't feel like this year's team for this year's team that's overdoing it I think they're capable and you know we may take a few lumps but um, I think they're capable of rising to the occasion and and um, you know you kind of look into the future you never know exactly how good your team's going to be or how good the teams on your schedule are going to be. But there are some years that we might want to, you know, um, check that a little bit. But I think for the most part, when we're at a school like University of Texas, I feel like we should, um, we sh- we sh- I feel like we communicate to our guys the level of expectation we have for the program by the schedule we set. I've always felt that way. I remember, um, you know, some, some years it might backfire. I know there was a year at Michigan where, we lost so many matches, so many close matches in a row, um, but we still ended up finish, finishing, you know, close to the top 25 and making the NCAA tournament and, and winning around. And we ended up at one point, we made the national indoors that year, but at one point we ended up losing 12 out of 13 matches. So that would be, that, that would be an example of it, it backfiring. But in the end of the day, you know, we had a good finish in the big 10. We, we um, made the tournament and finished close to the top 25 in the country. So, um, you got to be a little careful. You don't want to be reckless, but I also feel like the players, um, they get excited by playing the best. They typically um, don't get excited by playing a bunch of um, double headers um, and, um, you know, schools outside of the power five, you know, we're always going to mix in a few of those, but for the most part, we want to play teams that are going to push us to get better so that we learn from it. And, and we're challenged. I have, Two follow-ups off of that to start. Uh, last year, the NCAA made the switch to round of 16 matches being hosted by the top eight seed. The Big 12 Conference in college tennis, only six teams. So is that another thing that factors in your mind? I feel like it must. Yeah, well, the, that's true. Like some of the conferences that you play so many conference matches that the schedule is pretty much taken care of for you. But, you know, the Big 12 is super strong, but there are only six teams. So that means you're playing five conference matches which means you've got a lot of scheduling work to do um but you know our we're guaranteed five super tough matches to pick 12 and then um and then the conference tournament but yeah for sure we probably schedule more non-conference strong matches than other conferences just simply because we have a smaller conference yeah, and I'm curious, what do you think of that round of 16 hosting rule? You guys had the chance to host uh, a match last year, so obviously I'm sure you're a little bit biased, but the idea of being a number nine seed, did you prefer when the round of 16 was all in one place, or do you like that they're giving these programs a chance to host an additional match? Yeah, I think it worked pretty well. Of course, we, it worked out great for us. And, you know, um, my initial response was I kind of liked the round of 16 all in one place. But I did think that I, but I do understand that it got a little hectic with, you know, between men and women to have 32 teams and everyone hustling and fighting for practice courts was a challenge. And I also think the drawback was um, with 32 teams at that site, a lot of those matches were played either early in the morning or late at night when no one was watching. And, you know, with the round of 16 now, even if we don't get a chance to host, you know, if we make it that far, we're going to play it in front of a big crowd in an exciting environment. So I think it was a positive, um, positive move. The thing I l- always liked about the round of 16 is that sense of advancing, you know, past the first two rounds. 
and you still have that now. You still have to. You still fight through those first two rounds, and if you're fortunate enough to get through, you know you feel like you've cleared a major hurdle, and there's a little time to celebrate and feel proud of what you've done, and then you go on to the next site. So overall, I'd say yeah, I, I do like I do like the change. And we did see two upsets last year. Mississippi State went down to TCU, who you guys ended up playing. Uh, I think it was UNC went out to USC, beat them, and rode that momentum all the way to the semifinals. So I agree with you. I, I, I understand the appeal. You know, that round of 16, those back-to-back days really is one of the best day, two-day stretches in the college tennis season. But I, I, I like the round of 16 matches. I'm a fan, despite the fact that you know, my Wolverines had to go to Baylor uh, the way they did. Or I, I think that was the round before. But still, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, I can see both sides of the argument. But for you to get back to the conference, you mentioned the Big 12, you're going to get, you know, at least five really good matches from all of the teams you play. There's no doubt, uh, I think going into this year, there are five top 25 teams in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, and yourselves, Texas Tech, not far off of the pace there. Um Again, how does that Big 12 conference help you prepare uh, for the NCAA tournament, for all that lies ahead? Last year, obviously, you took the loss to Baylor and rebounded well. What are your thoughts on the Big 12 conference? It's it's super strong. I mean, last year, we had three of the six teams in our conference made the quarters, you know, made the final site. You had TCU there. You had us there. We played TCU. And you had Baylor. So half the teams in our conference made the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. And that said, I think the conference is clearly stronger this year than last year. That's that's the way I look at it. So um, there's nowhere to hide. You've got no easy matches. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I do great. I think it's, it's super competitive. And, um, you know, playing that level of um, matches in, in April and then also that same level of competition in the Big 12 tournament, for sure is good preparation for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I mean, look at the schools in Texas alone this year. TCU, Baylor, you guys, Texas A&M. Uh, it's a really good state for tennis. Uh, obviously, there are others as well. But yeah, it's going to be a challenging year. And for you guys, you know, I'm sure goals, you get the day-to-day answer. We're not looking that far in advance, of course. But for you guys, does it all start with that Big 12 conference bringing home another conference title? I think it does when it comes to outcome goals, but um, not yet. You know, right yeah. now, we're, right now we're honestly trying to see how good we are, see see how good we can play against Florida and how good we can compete and what we have to learn from that. You know, last year when we won the national championship, I don't think there was one time I didn't hear anyone discussing winning a national championship, and you know, I don't know that I really even thought about it until we got to probably like the semis. So um, it just you know, you want to win every match you play. And I don't think that there's a team in the country that we would be playing that our intent wouldn't be to try to win the match and, and feeling like we're capable of it. But at the same time, winning a national championship takes a lot more than just being good and having a great culture and having good senior leadership. It takes all the heavens aligning correctly at the right time and take, you know, takes a little luck and you need, you need the right guy uh, not to sprain his ankle at the wrong time. And it just, it takes so much. And, I've been so fortunate to be part of two of those teams, but I know it's 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 a lot of hard work and skill and, and toughness from the players, but it's also a fair amount of luck. So um, I haven't heard too much talk about that yet or any talk about that, but I know that every match they play, they're going to want to win. And, and if we get ourselves in that position where we feel like we're one of the teams that has a chance, then I think you zero in on that task a little more at that time. Yeah, and certainly with Coach Boland bringing in Jensen Brooksby, who won around at the U.S. Open to his Baylor Bears. I know TCU, they lose Rybakov, but they bring in a bunch of great freshmen as well. Uh, it's going to be a really fun conference to watch throughout the year. Uh, just two questions left for you, Coach, and then we'll get to the fun rapid-fire. Question one, uh, you mentioned that Florida match there. You guys are going up against the number one Gators, number two team in the country versus number one. It's not very often uh, that we get to see that, especially this early in the year. Uh, to anyone who's fortunate enough to listen to this before the match takes place, what should we expect tomorrow? Well, I hope we can expect our guys to be up to the task competitively and not to be intimidated by the moment and to really go after it. And, and regardless of what's happening at any given time in the match, that you're going to see six hungry, competitive, tough, confident, looking guys on the court wearing uh, 
the steer head on their shirt. So that's what I hope we see. And I think we'll see that too. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen it from some of these freshmen in dual matches. Um, but I think we can, I think we're going to, we're going to put it out there. And I think the matchups at the top of the lineup are going to be impactful in the match. But uh, I have learned over the years, that, you know, trying to handicap the match and predict what's going to happen is, is really pretty futile because, <laughs> you know, we learned that last year when we played Wake Forest, that we, we ended up winning it. And we might have ended up sweeping the singles, and it just did not go anywhere near the plan. But I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for Florida, and I coached at Florida years ago, and, you know, I think it's a great great team, great program, great school, great coaches, super um, high amount of respect for Brian Shelton and Tanner. They do a terrific job with their guys. So I think you're going to see hard-fought tennis, highly competitive, good attitudes, um, no, no, no drama other than the drama of – you know, of the competitive points and who's going to win the match. So I think it's going to be highly competitive and fun to watch, and we're going to learn a lot about our team tomorrow night. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark Merklin, who you were the coach when he won his NCAA singles title, right? Assistant? Yeah, he he and I were both freshmen uh, at the same time. You know, I, I was in my first year of Florida when he was a freshman. I just talked to him an hour or two ago. Just being here brings back a lot of great memories. And um, yeah, so that we had a great experience together. I coached him all four years and then ended up coaching him professionally for a couple of years. And then he also was my assistant at uh, Michigan for a couple of years. So we we go way back and he was... He, he had a great impact on this program. He was a great person and a great player and was a really good coach as well. Again, I we've had the chance to talk to Coach Shelton. Hopefully he listens to this today thinking, oh, am I about to get the insight? And then joke's on him. Um, but yeah, I know I speak for college tennis fans everywhere when we look forward to watching that dual match, just dual matches everywhere get kicked off. My last serious question for you, for the UT fans out there listening to this podcast, trying to get a sneak peek of their 2020 Longhorns, what do you want fans to take away when they go to watch this team play to see them compete? Pete during the 2020 season yeah I hope what they're gonna I hope what they're gonna see is a group of guys um, that are exactly the way I've, I've described them to be on this call that they're they love the game uh, that they they love to compete and they're super eager to get better and they're they're really eager to represent Texas and, and put their own stamp on this program I, I hope so as well, and obviously, I'm, I said this in a different podcast, you guys are the defending national champions. That's a really hard thing to accomplish, so I'm going to refer to you as defending national championship Texas men's tennis Longhorns all year long until someone takes that title from you. Um, but with that in mind, one last thing I want to do with you, Coach. You've been in college tennis for 30 years. I am only 24 years old. That being said, I have some ideas for some fun changes, so I want to run you through them in our rapid-fire segment. That sound good to you give it a whirl all right west off give me a rapid fire sound effect please all right let's start with the fun one i think the coin toss is the most overrated part of a tennis match i just think we can do better entertainment value these kids come on the court we should be competing from the moment we step on there so two choices for you coach a at the beginning of the match, the head coaches play a drop-and-hit point. The winning coach gets to decide the serving arrangements on all of the courts throughout the match. Or B, rock, paper, scissors. That way, the meeting can exist where you're like, hey, you know, TCU teams throw paper 36% of the time, so be on the lookout for that. Either of those appeal to you? Yes, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> you don't want to play out there? I don't want a piece of Brian Shelton, no. <laughs> Oh, I, what if you could throw Joyce out there and be like one of the coaches, not any, not all of the coaches. Just yeah, one. If, if if you throw the serve in there, we'll take Joyce out there for sure. Against everybody. <laughs> oh, I'm in favor of it. I like it a lot. What about um, the world team tennis idea where in world team tennis, you get two substitutions a match. Let's say, you know, it's three, two, your team is trailing. You get to throw Yuya back in at the number four singles position. Um, for one of your substitutions or whatever. Is that something you'd be interested oh, in or no? That's interesting. So if he would play his full match, once he's done, he can go back in somewhere else? Assuming, yeah, you get two substitutions per match, so you can use him, and you can only use each player twice. So, yeah, if he's done, let's say he wins two and two, you can throw him back in. And for how long can he stay in? He can just finish the Until match? He, yeah, he's subbed in until, unless you want to sub him out later because he starts cramping or something. Wow, that would be crazy. 
then you could really uh, have the incentive for some guy to get off the court quickly. I didn't even think about that one. I'm not going to lie. I was thinking about that last night for some reason, just the idea of having substitutions, you know, having one or two, but the idea of having a player who's already finished their match, that I kind of like that one. As long as we have, as long as we have you on our team, I kind of like that. <laughs> I'll take it. An endorsement from coach Burke. It's a, that's a win for me. A hundred percent. All right. What other fun ones do I have for you? Let's see. You, you like the substitutions. Oh, what about the idea of, and some people get very superstitious, but from the fan perspective, not every facility has six courts that go out in a row. As you know, at the varsity tennis center, it's four and four. So at the end of matches, you just bring, you know, you move courts so that everything's in one place, so that fans have one place to congregate, and we can all watch the end of the match together. Mm, great for the fans. I don't know how much the players are going to like that. Uh, um, yeah, I think I might uh, be a little more hesitant on that one. Yeah, that one's a tough one. I mean, it, it's more about, yeah, it, that would be purely fan-centric. Yeah. Um, if we're being honest, but all right, I, I like that one. What about you've seen ad versus no ad scoring? Has the no ad grown on you, or do you uh, prefer uh, the ad scoring? You know what? I definitely recognize that it's good for the game and good for college tennis, and it brings a level of excitement to the matches. I and it, it's helped make the matches go quicker. Maybe there's some, you know, maybe it's helped us get more matches on TV. I I see the reason we did it, and I get it, but personally. I still don't like it, and I, I, I still don't like it. I, um, and I think most of the guys that I've coached prefer – I've heard a few that say they like it, but a lot of the guys that I coach I think would prefer regular scoring. But, you know, at the same time, I haven't heard many complaints. You know, they get used to it. They're adaptable, and, and it is what it is, and they go out there and battle, and they love it when they win those these points. Um, but I think it's been good. It's been good for college tennis, but I don't know that it's good for tennis, if you know what I mean. No, that's completely fair, and it's the same thing of two out of three versus three out of five sets at the majors. It's, you know, are we compromising the sport for the sake of time, for the sake of making it fan-friendlier? Is that really what we want the game to be? Uh, so, yeah, I, I completely see that perspective. I have, I, especially the doubles point, I mean, I have made the argument before the doubles point in college is the single most exciting 40 minutes in tennis, just three matches next to each other you know things turn on a dime so quickly uh so in that respect i enjoy it yeah for sure well and it also that's kind of how they do it in pro tennis right now although i do think one set no ad can sometimes go so quick and if you if you don't get a good start you know it's almost impossible to recover but at the same time it makes your players alert and makes them you know makes them learn that they have to prepare themselves to be ready to play the first point yeah, if they wanted to keep the no ad but go back to the eight game pro set in college doubles, I'd be completely fine with that as well. Yeah. All right. Last one for you, coach. Your philosophy on finishing matches, uh, not in the NCAA tournament, but during the regular season, you know, regardless of if the outcome's already been decided. Yeah, I, I'm in favor of it. I think it's, mm -hmm. I think, I think players want to finish in general. You know, unless coaches, I think that should be the standard. And I think it is right now, unless both coaches agree otherwise that you're supposed to finish it out. At least that's what we're doing in conference play. I think that's the standard. And I think it's good for development. I think it can be frustrating to players. Some, some, certain, some guys have certain styles that might lend themselves to longer matches. And, you know, they miss out on a lot of opportunities to get results and to complete long matches. And, um, and, and especially if you're on a really good team, or a team that's less competitive, let's say you're a top player on a team that happens to be down that year and you're, the team's losing quickly, um, you may never get a chance to finish your matches and you might have won quite a few of them and that, that can be frustrating. And then if you're on a great team, um, there, it can work the same way where a lot of times you don't get a chance to finish your matches. So I think it's good for development. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in favor of tournament play when there's tournament play that you stop. I think that makes sense. But overall, I'm finishing it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you for all of the reasons you stayed there. It's sort of like the time on court argument. It's probably best for everyone's development if they all get to finish those matches. Of course, at the same time, you know, your team loses a heartbreaker 4-2 and you're that seventh yeah. match. You're like, I don't want any part of that. 
Um, so I, I, it's it's definitely easy to see both sides. But one thing I am certainly excited to be seeing your match with Florida coach. I know you have practice in a little bit, so I'll let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with our Crack Rackets team. Good luck to you and your Longhorns as you kick off the season. Uh, and anytime you want to come back, you know, once you guys inevitably repeat as champions, you get to keep that title. We'd be happy to speak with you. Again. All right, that sounds good. All, All right, thanks, right. Coach. Can I get a go horns out of you? Hook them horns? Hook them horns. <laughs> thanks. Take care and good luck. All right, you got it. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with University of Texas men's tennis head coach Bruce Burke. It was only a matter of time till he lost that interim tag, so college tennis a better place when coach Bruce Burke is involved with one of the scene's top programs, and I know he's got great things in store for the men's Longhorns, not only this year, but moving into the future. I want to give a shout out not only to coach Burke, but to all of our coaches who took the time to come on this college contender series over this past offseason. I've said it repeatedly, but you can tell why each and every one of these head coaches are spearheading the game's biggest and best programs. It's it's why college tennis is in such a good place moving into the 2020s. It's why we see so many college guys go on to have success in the pro ranks when they're done with their college tennis careers because these coaches, you know, they're they're nurturers. They develop talent. It's more than just being tennis coaches. They are life coaches, and they're the best in the business. So huge shout out to all of them, and a big thank you, and again, to each and every one of those coaches. The door is always open should you want to come back on the Cracked Interviews podcast. If you missed any of our College Contender Series, all of it, the mini break podcast Matt, Chris, and I do breaking down each of the teams, the head coaching interviews we've conducted as well can be found on our website, CrackedRackets.com. This podcast, the mini break podcast, great shot podcast. Please like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. If you know someone who likes college tennis, I promise you they will enjoy the podcast we have done breaking down these teams. Uh, So tell them to give it a listen as well. Just steal their phone. They'll be listening before they even know what happened. So, uh, and then they'll be happy. They'll say, wow, I found this great podcast. And you can joke to them and say, really? I've never heard of it before when in fact the joke's on them. You set them up on a better course for their lives. So, you know, just go do that. And for the more immediate updates as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets. Shout out to our partners at Aerobar, uh, the first tennis-specific energy bar. More potassium than banana. It's not going to melt in your bag. The perfect snack to nibble on when you're nervous for your college tennis team's first dual match of the season. Uh, so go give those a look if you want 30% off your first order. It's Cracked30 on their website, C-R-A-C-K-E-D-3-0, the promo code. Again, Aerobar, shout out to them. We're so grateful to have them as part of our team. Shout out to the super producers as well, as always, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job they have to do and have done throughout this series. None of this stuff happens without them, so a huge shout out to them. But... For the wonderful University of Texas men's tennis head coach, Bruce Burke, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at both the Tennis Channel Podcast Network and Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We will see you all with probably a non-college tennis interview. In fact, I know you're going to like the next Cracked interview we have on. little sneak tease here, but it's someone from the tennis world, and I promise you'll enjoy it. But with that, thanks, everyone. We will see you next time.